In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning in the name of Jesus. We make an act of faith that you are here with us in a special way. That you have claimed us all for yourself through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. That you are our loving Father, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Savior. That you love us with an everlasting love, with a faithful love. That you love to provide for us. That you love to bless us. And today, we ask you to help us to remember those blessings. We ask you to help us focus on the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. To awaken our memories to the good things that you have done for us, that have happened to us, that we have been able to do by your grace. We just pray then that our hearts would be filled with gratitude, with joy, with a sense of belonging, with a sense of love and affirmation and acceptance. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in a new way today. We can't pray without you. We can't grow in knowledge of your love without you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come, fall afresh on us today. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us here and now. We need you, we want you, we love you, we welcome you. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. We ask you, Lord, to give our guardian angels the graces they need today to help us pray, to protect us, to fight off the enemy, any distractions. Jesus, I take authority here in your name, asking you to send your holy angels here to guard us, to intercede for us, and to fight off any evil spirits, the enemy of our human nature who are attempting to discourage us or distract us. So Mother Mary, you are the queen of heaven and the queen of the angels and we crown you the queen of our time here this morning as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I thought we would start with Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. And it's a nice transition in the spiritual exercises to start focusing a little bit more on the life of Christ. 
and especially we, we look at Mary here today, at least this morning, to help us appreciate the importance of memory and remembering the works of the Lord. So in this chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel, there's a couple of verses that will really jump out at us. Verse 19, and then a little bit later on, verse 51. So 219 and 251 from Luke's Gospel in particular highlight Mary's memory. So let's just look at the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So a lot of historical context there that Luke gives us. A lot of historical context. And that's important to just pause on because sometimes God's will for you and for me, is in fact manifested in the historical context. Things that are out of our control, but that we are called to endure, like a pandemic, for example, and all of the craziness that we've all had to live through the last couple years. Well, that was a historical context that we had very little control over, but we had to live through it. That was that was God's will, so to speak. Even though we all probably had a lot of other plans, right? I just think about the seniors at Everest who didn't get to go to the Holy Land, right? And who had probably been anticipating that literally for over a decade, if, especially if they had older siblings that got to go or, or friends or relatives that got to go and make that trip. Yeah, and we all had plans that were disrupted, because of the pandemic. Well, you know, that was a historical context. Joseph and Mary had to deal with a historical context. You know, Caesar calls for this census. So you got to travel to your hometown and be counted, you know, whether it's convenient or not. That's what you got to do. Okay, so we do it. But it's interesting that through that, probably unbeknownst to Joseph, maybe Mary was tuned in with this. Maybe Joseph was, hard to say. But it had actually been prophesied that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. That was an ancient prophecy. And what does Bethlehem mean? House of bread. House of bread. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread. And then he was laid in a manger. So for you French speakers out there, right? Manger, to eat, right? 
So he was laid in a manger so that we could eat his flesh and drink his blood. All of that, very symbolic, right? So isn't that amazing how in the midst of this very inconvenient historical context, prophecy was being fulfilled. God's plans were prevailing. God's plans were prevailing. So I think that's something that we all need to ask God for help with. You know, that's, that's wisdom, right? That's God's wisdom, the gift of wisdom. Being able to think the thoughts of God and to see from God's perspective what's going on. I think it's safe to say that God is shaking things up so that that which cannot be shaken will remain, will still be standing, so to speak. And it's been hard for all of us. We've all been tried and and tested in a sense, but not, you have to understand that from an engineer's perspective perspective, right? Not from a teacher's perspective. Because when we hear tried and tested, we think, oh no, I'm, I have to pass this exam now, right? It's not so much that, but it's from the engineering perspective where you're, you're trying and you're testing steel and metal, right? So that it becomes stronger, right? So if God tests us, it's not, do we pass the test or not? That's not, that might be a part of it, but it's not the only part of it, right? It's to get stronger, So I think that's because he's really counting on us in a sense. He's really counting on us to keep fighting the good fight and to be faithful. I want to look real quick for this passage. from uh, Hebrews that has caught my attention recently, but I obviously don't have the verse memorized yet. Uh, Here we go. Uh, hmm. Okay. Well, I'll look it up and come back to it. So getting back then to Mother Mary. Verse 8. And in that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So these shepherds, again, a providential occurrence here. These shepherds 
tradition says, were in charge of raising the sheep for the Passover sacrifice. So they were in charge of raising the lambs that would be used for the Passover sacrifice, which is to say they had to be unblemished. So they had to be well cared for. And so again, Jesus is the lamb of God, the unblemished sacrifice being offered in atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. So that couldn't have happened anywhere else. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them, as it had been prophesied to them, you could say. So verse 19 there, Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. I think sometimes we assume Mary knew exactly what was going on all the time, (laughs) that she understood everything that was being asked of her. But I don't think that's very realistic. She was obviously a woman of the spirit, full of grace. But God also required of her trust, surrender, abandonment. Acts of faith and hope and love. And you can only grow in virtue when it's tested. When you have to exercise that virtue. That's like our muscles, right? Well, how is it that virtue gets bigger and stronger when you have to exercise it, right? So Mary was necessarily required to exercise the theological virtues, especially faith, hope, and love. And I think it's easy for us to overlook that sometimes. Even in the education of the kids, right? We, they have the virtue of the month. Well, I wonder when's the last time we had faith as the virtue of the month, you know, or hope, Right? But it's foundational to our Christian lives. Absolutely foundational. That's why we receive it at baptism. And so Mary had to constantly make an act of faith so that her faith would keep growing. Because God knew at some point, (laughs) a few years down the road, she was going to have to stand at the foot of the cross as mother of the church And be a rock for all these knuckleheads, you know, who ran away from Jesus. Except for John that night, you know, or that day. Well, I guess most of them did leave that night on Holy Thursday night. So Mary was going to have to have a strong faith. So I think sometimes our expectations, even for ourselves, with regards to our faith life, are pretty unrealistic. So 
I think that's where Mary, for, for all of us, can be such a great example. But I think sometimes, because now she is queen of heaven, and, you know, she sits at the right hand of the Father, body, soul, you know, she was assumed into heaven, and, you know, we lose sight of the fact that, well, it was not easy for her. Even though she was the Immaculate Conception, it wasn't easy. She had different kinds of struggles, for sure, but she had struggles. She had sufferings that she had to endure. And just seeing Jesus for the first 30 years of his life, you know, she had to keep making acts of faith. Okay, this is the Messiah. Because there weren't a whole lot of manifestations after these miraculous occurrences around his birth, like, you know, she loses him in the temple when he's 12. That's a pretty typical little boy thing, isn't it? You know, and she panicked. So let's, let's, yeah, let's get to that. We'll just jump ahead a little bit to, um, to two, let's just do two, uh, 39, Luke two thirty nine. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So even Jesus in his humanity had to mature. And he had to subject his human will to his divine will. And his human intellect had to, you know, to grow and mature and along with his divine intellect. So he was, he was a divine person, right? If you want to get theological for a second, right? So he was true God and true man, but he was a divine person, right? His personhood was one um, who had this human nature. So that's the hypostatic union. That's the mystery of God made man. So he became what he was not while remaining what he always was. He became a human being while remaining a divine person. So now let's look at the boy Jesus in the temple. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. How often did that happen to you, parents, right? <laughs> you didn't know what your kid was up to. But supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So they were kind of clueless. They were doing what they thought they should do. You know, they were doing the most logical thing at the time. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. So that's pretty normal, right? And he said to them, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
and they did not understand the saying which he spoke to them. So there you go. The word of God is explicitly saying here that they didn't understand. So if you don't understand something, you're in good company with Mary and Joseph. (laughs) Even they did not understand. So what do you have to do? Well, let's keep reading here. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. So she, she didn't understand, but now she was seeking understanding. How? By keeping all of these things in her, in her heart, by pondering them, by praying about them. And Jesus increased, see there it is, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he had to, he had to do that. He subjected himself to that. He didn't have to do it, but he subjected himself to that. So I think it's safe to say Jesus here is 12. So I think it's safe to say roughly 12, right? Yeah. So... 12 years old, yeah. So roughly 18 years later, he starts his public ministry at 30. And yesterday we reflected on the wedding at Cana when Mary was referred to as woman. So it's, it's, you know, we can imagine that Jesus and Mary had these conversations about her being the new Eve. I think that's a, a safe assumption they would have been very aware of, you know, okay, Jesus is the Messiah. And yeah, mom, guess what? I'm going to be the new Adam. That means you're going to be the new Eve. Whoa. <laughs> Maybe he dropped that bomb on her when he was 18 or something, you know? <laughs> Maybe after Joseph had passed, you know, we don't know exactly when Joseph passed, right? So maybe when, you know, it was just the two of them, he, he dropped that bomb on her, you know? <laughs> And then he would have said, well, yeah, mom, I mean, look, what does it say right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? It's called the Proto-Evangelium, if you haven't heard that term before. Genesis 3, 15, the Proto, the first Evangelium, the first good news. So God the Father announcing the gospel for the first time. Right after the fall, the Father doesn't abandon humanity to the devil and his minions, but he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the devil. So who's the woman? Well, it's not Eve because she just danced with the devil, right? Not a whole lot of enmity there. But I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. So Jesus and Mary, I'm sure, would have reflected on that scripture passage together. And so she kept pondering that for 18 years. Well, at least whatever she was pondering from the time that they found Jesus in the temple. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business, in other words? So when it came time to the wedding at Cana, she's like, I'm sure the Holy Spirit was talking to her like, Okay, well, it's time to get down to business. <laughs> the honeymoon is over, so to speak. 
and now it's time to get down to business. And, and, and Jesus was just, you know, giving her another opportunity, as we said, to say yes in that moment. It wasn't explicit in John chapter 2, but it was definitely a, a fiat kind of a moment. And then, of course, at the foot of the cross, again, he refers to her as woman. And now she's going to be mother of the church. And I don't believe that she had birth pangs in Bethlehem, but obviously she had birth pangs, so to speak, at the foot of the cross, right? It was even prophesied, a sword will pierce your heart. Simeon, at the presentation in the temple. That's, that's 2.25 and following. Now, Luke 2.25 and following. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, which is to say the Savior. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the Spirit, he came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is spoken against. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So, you know, that was... 40 days after he was born and she was getting this very painful news. So then she had to ponder that. She had to ponder that prophecy. What's that going to mean? The sword's going to pierce my heart. So it wasn't easy for Mary. Just like it's not easy for you or for me. So I think that's where we have to follow her example and make acts of faith while, while we pray, while we ponder, while we ask God for, for wisdom and for understanding. We can seek, we should seek understanding and wisdom and counsel and fortitude. You know, all those gifts that we've already received, like ask for more. They call those the Christological gifts. So those gifts are for us, for our sanctification. And if you will, that's the difference between the Christological gifts and the charismatic gifts like prophecy or healing or teaching, preaching, administration, right? So all of those charismatic gifts are for others, are for building up the church. But the Christological gifts are for you. And as are the, so the, what are the Christological gifts, right? The knowledge, wisdom, counsel, 
understanding fortitude, piety, awe, and wonder. So those help us relate to the Lord and, and help us act according to his ways and speak according to his mind and so on. To see with his vision. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, piety, on one of the, That's the order that I remember them in. So we can ask for more of those, as I'm sure Mary did. And then to exercise that faith, like I said, perhaps that's something you never really thought of before. And that's why you can ask for a sign. I think I was sharing this with somebody yesterday. You know, when I'm talking to young people who are discerning a vocation, yeah, you can, you can ask for a sign, but be careful what you ask for because, again, God wants to respect your freedom. And if he gives you such an obvious sign, well, now you have to say yes, right? So now, now why are you responding to God? It's more out of fear and obligation. If I don't, now I'm going to suffer the wrath of God, right? And God doesn't want you to follow him that way. So what is it that he asks? He asks for acts of faith. Oh, I know, yeah, we were, I was talking about the Indiana Jones and the, the Holy Grail, if you remember that scene at the end of the movie when Indiana Jones is following all the, the, the clues and he gets to the precipice of that great canyon and he can't see the footpath. It's, a, it's an optical illusion, right? From his vantage point, he can't see the path that's right there. But he's knowing that his clues have been accurate thus far. He's been making acts of faith, if you will, in the clues up to that point. And that's how it'll be sometimes in our walk with Jesus. You know, he'll, he'll lead us, we'll be following him, and, and then he'll be leading us. Right? And now, oh my gosh, you, you want me to step there? Like, well, I, I don't see where that's going. <laughs> that doesn't look very safe to me. That looks like disaster. <laughs> that looks like sure and certain death. But he's, he's out of options because he's being chased, right, by the bad guys, I think, and So he closes his eyes and he lifts his leg high and then he just steps out in faith. And then the whole path becomes visible, right? Remember, he takes dirt and he throws it on there just in case. (laughs) So he's not crazy, right? And like, in case coming back, I can't see that thing. And so sometimes, you know, it's gonna be like that. Like the Lord will give you plenty of little signs and then you have to keep pondering those things, right? That, I think that's, that's what this is about here. The pondering is remembering all the little signs that God has already given you. You know, and again, if, if you're here on this retreat, God has obviously worked in your life in so many ways. But I'm afraid we're, we're not always pondering those things. We're not, we're not con. We're not conscious of them. And so that's why, again, I I encourage you, if you haven't started doing so already, in the back of your folder, 
go through those pleasant memories. Ask the Holy Spirit. And list the people. Because those people, those good people that God put in your life, well, they were providential. You know, how many times have I heard some of you say, oh, yeah, you know, Kay Brown, Marianne Williams, they were really there for me. You know? Well, that, thank God for those women. And now God's probably calling you to be, you know, Marianne's and Kay's for a new generation, right? So we have to appreciate those people that God puts in our lives. The good priests, the good teachers, the good friends. You know, Father Gomez, we're all, well, most of us here, you know, knew Father Gomez, and we're beneficiaries of his craziness, you know, and his, you know, and his charisms, right? So I think it's really important to do this kind of an exercise. And then the emotions and the truths, you know, there's some, when I did this, I was like, wow, yeah. Like, what is God trying to say to me through these events? Not just about himself, because that's important too. But what is he trying to tell me about me <laughs> through these good things that have happened to me or that I've had, you know, the, the privilege of experiencing? So, because that can increase your faith. And you ponder these things. And you've heard me say this, you know, that, that memory is really the foundation for all Judeo-Christian spirituality. Memory and remembering is really the foundation for all Judeo-Christian spirituality. Because what was the Passover? Right? That was the, the climax of their annual calendar, liturgical calendar. And what was it? A memorial, right? And they would tell the story. Whoever the, the patriarch was, I'm sure, in the room, would tell the story. And they would remember how God had acted on their behalf, how God had intervened on their behalf to save them, to deliver them from the Egyptians. And then for us as Catholic Christians, what is the Mass, right? But a memorial that sacramentally makes present the saving sacrifice of Christ. And so God is clearly inviting us to remember. To remember. Why do we celebrate Christmas and Easter every year in the liturgical calendar? So we remember what God did for us. Because we all know it's easy to forget, right? It's easy to forget. You will be surprised. If you, if you do this prayerfully, you will be surprised at what comes up in terms of the pleasant memories and how God, it doesn't even have to be a God moment. Please don't get me wrong. It, it doesn't, you know, uh, you know, one of mine was playing high school football under Coach Richmond, you know, at a public high school, you know. But Coach Richmond was clearly a man sent by God into the life of Jason Brooks. He inspired me to want to be a teacher and a coach myself. And then from there, the Lord called me to be a priest. Because it was a lot easier. It was a much smaller gap, right, to call me from wanting to be a teacher and a coach 
than from wanting to be, I don't know, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, right? Very different aspirations, right? So God used Coach Richmond to put, you know, these aspirations in my heart as a young man. I was probably 13, 14 when the, first, when the thought first entered my mind to be like Coach Richmond. I want to be like him. Clearly a man sent by God into my life. You know, and I'm sure you all have people like that, teachers, coaches, again, neighbors. People who, who saw something in you that you didn't even see in yourself. Right? And isn't that what a good coach and teacher and parent does? Right? They, they bring the best out of us. Right? Even though it's painful sometimes. <laughs> I can remember my college coach, he would always yell at us when we're doing the wind sprints, you know, get out of the comfort zone, get out of the comfort zone. Uh, so that's, yes, God is going to stretch us necessarily because he loves us. So if you feel like sometimes you're getting stretched, yeah, we all resist that to a certain degree. That's our human nature. But God is stretching us. Like I said, I think these last two years, we've all been stretched. But I think that's in preparation for what is to come. You know? And, and he, he needs us to be stronger. And he needs us to be more focused and more faith-filled, if you will. You know, stronger faith and hope. Hope especially, right? You've got to keep exercising hope that there is a future full of hope, right? For me, I love to hang on to what Mary said. You know, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. My immaculate heart will triumph. I mean, because in the end, we know Jesus wins and whatever, right? But I'm talking about for humanity, that there is a brighter future for humanity on the horizon. The new Pentecost, the triumph of the immaculate heart. And I think we're going to see it. I think we're all going to be a part of that. I think it's going to happen pretty soon. So get ready. (laughs) So I think that's good for now.